pulls my towel off me as I go out the door, slams the door behind me, and of course, who who comes down the <laughs> corridor? Uh, who who's the least person you'd want to come down the corridor at that point? The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's I think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeebs here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score! This is The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. We have a really good show today. I have James Downey, Mike McCarthy and Pat McCarthy in studio, Ronan O'Gara, and we've got a nice interview coming up with Ulster winger Jacob Stockdale. Um, but first, I think we have to start with this note. It's not often that we talk about some of the people behind the scenes, um, but we lost one this week. Uh, lost to Leinster and especially Munster Rugby, the passing of Pat Garrity, their former media man. Um Raj, I'll go straight to you because you mentioned it one time before in the show. Uh, we were talking about the relationship between the players and the media and you brought up Pat and you said he minded you. I suppose, um, exactly, I suppose. It means, I think, me, I, was in, I think a lot of us were incredibly close and he was, I had a look, 15 years and I was there for a few more years but that's an awful lot of time together and, and the lads will tell you I think when you especially in a good team like Munster people get very very tight and Pat was kind of obviously the media manager what became his title in, in later years but uh, he was great crack he was a good character he was fun there was an edge to him and um, he had your back and I think I said it um, at the time, I think, even if you're 100% wrong, Pat backed you. He gave you a bollocking behind the scenes, but he always kind of backed you uh, when it went against the press. Uh, Pat, you mentioned to me off air that um, Pat Garrity was actually one of the people that got you, gave you a bit of help out earlier on in your career. Yeah, yeah, one of the, the first, I was just working for a local paper, but looking to get into sports journalism properly, and I gave Pat a shout and made a big big request with the first I think I was looking for Jan de Villiers and um, I was doing something for the Sunday Tribune but Pat was um, sorted me out no bother let me have as much time with Jan and, and Jan was great for chatting and, um, and and that was it you'd often heard that Pat would be kind of this guy who's fiercely protective of his players but um, my access the very first time was easy but when I went back to get future access in the future it, was, it wasn't quite as easy and I kind of came across that character who was just so protective of his players and he'd give you a quick phone call if you know, if he saw something he didn't like, you'd you'd, you'd yeah, I, I got, about it. I got the phone call, all right. Got it a couple of times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably deserved it as well, but. But yeah, it was like. But even chatting to um, some of the other journalists yesterday, we were all down at a, a Lancer rugby thing there down in Tullow, and he was just so fun. Like the lads all had stories about him. They all got the phone calls, but um, the respect was really, really clear there. Um, but all the lads, and I think, yeah, he definitely will be like sorely missed by everybody. The uh, James, you've played with a couple of clubs couple of media people around you um, they're not all they're not all the same No certainly not <clears throat> and I think that when you see Pat and, and what he's done and everyone speaks so highly of him as, as Pat's just done there and, and Roger's done and people have in the media over the last couple of, or, or yesterday look I've had some ones where they've you kind of notice the media manager for me normally you shouldn't notice them at all and you just kind of deal with the master a game and that'd be it like but um, if they're not great you'd be in, like you'd have no protection and these questions would be coming firing and, and you're looking left and right going can I answer this and so for those aspiring PR people out there what should you not do in handling a player <laughs> Just leave them go in there and hand them the sheet with saying, do not say this. And that's the first thing that you come out and say. With, and they go, oh, you're not supposed to say that. But look, it's for, for me, it's um, Pat epitomised all that and about what what was good about it. And you never, he was in the background, but no one really kind of knew um, all the stuff he was doing to do it. And, and as Roger's saying, he was always there and having the social occasions and having a glass of red and... Um, look, there's a hell of a lot of people out there that um, couldn't do 10% of the job that he's done. And, um, yeah, no, sad loss. Do you like media people, the handlers? 
yeah, of course. I mean, you know, these kind of guys become part of the furniture and teams, and mm. um, you know, playing playing professional rugby, you have uh, you have a really good culture. Everyone's like a family, so. Um, you know, it's very sad when 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 these things happen. There's a bit of trust there that must develop. You know, because you are you are put in front of the spotlight the odd time, and you know, if you don't have the trust built up already with a journalist, for example, then the PR person is putting you out there. You need to trust them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they could hang you out there to dry, couldn't they? But uh, no, they've got your back the whole time, and uh, they advise you on what to say and what not to say, like Jimmy was saying. So, uh, you know, you you, tr- you trust them wholeheartedly. Mm. I was uh, I was looking back at a couple of um, pieces featuring Pat, and one came to mind. It was a piece that um, Alan Quinlan did after he retired when he was talking about moving into retirement. And uh, he encountered the other side of Pat when he was down, I think he was moving into work in first Sky, and he was down watching training with the Sky fellas, and <laughs> Pat comes over and says, right, how's it going? And he says, yeah, it's grand. He says, well, are you media now or what? Yeah. Well, sorry, back off. Closed session. <laughs> You're not here anymore. Um, but that's you know that's mm. the edge that he had to have. He, he knew the line that had to be drawn there. And I think Quinlan, um, both in that piece originally, I think he did uh, for for a newspaper. Um, he found that a little hard to deal with at the time. Um, and I suppose we'll, we'll go into the retirement topic now. But things do change when you retire, um, James. I mean, you're not you're not one of the lads anymore. Yeah, and I think there's variances in how you actually retire and how like I know um, Max retired differently to, to the way I did and to the way Raj did and to the way a lot of players do you can't no one gets that real well or maybe Brian gets that big day out that oh it's going to be under the fanfare and most players actually just slip off into the sunset and uh, mm. and go unnoticed and a lot of players actually just um, don't even take the field and get that last final hurrah and you know it's your final game and most of the time it's it's not you don't know when it is and look it's it's very different for everyone and it's about how you prepare as well and um, certain elements you take into it along the way and, and what you pick up and obviously you want to retire on your own terms but it's, it's not always that case but a lot of people are prepared for it um, it's, it's very highlighted nowadays in the media and um, especially you see how um, certain players uh, mentally are, are reacting to things, and obviously this is a huge, a huge topic in the sport now as well. A lot of mental health issues that that players have when they retire, and um, not to be too morbid about the whole thing. Look, it's it's completely uh, understandable that players are struggle after a while, but not everyone does, and not everyone. Um, some people are happy to do it, and some people pull out early like I saw a great article before on um, with Keen Bahan spoke extremely well about look he could have kept playing um, he just didn't want to you know and just wanted to move on and get on with something else in his life and his career and it takes balls to do that and to actually hold up that hand and say look this is what I've trained this is what I've always wanted to do be a professional sportsman and actually uh, I don't want to do it anymore and I want to mm. get on with my life and do and do something different Raj when you um, hung up the boots uh, I know James just mentioned the big day out, you know, the, the balloon over the Aviva Stadium and all that. Was that something that you wanted or was that something you were saying, look, I'm I'm not going to do that? What was your thoughts? Do you know, do you know what? It never came into my head. It, it's never, ever... Um, I didn't know. I just kind of... I can picture that my last game absolutely perfectly. I can see Nigel Owen, Donna Ryan give me a hug. I was there with my little boy. But I, I something just snapped inside me going... It, it, that's it I think you know it's just I didn't know beforehand it was going to be my last game but you just kind of felt right that it was kind of just I just kind of had um, given it everything it could have gone on you know what I mean as a squad player for maybe another year or two well, what's the point as James said there previously I just felt there was a stage where um I want to get on to the next thing. I knew I wanted to go coaching. I knew I was interested in, in that side of the game and trying to get the best out of people. And, and uh, at that stage, I, I felt it was right to go, but it, it was, wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't uh, something I put mass thought into. And James, I think, spoke really well about it because every player is very different and every player has different feelings and different situations and about how uh, retirement comes about. But... I think a lot of people uh, find it difficult to accept that it's over but you have to be very thankful for what happened too you understand that you get 
a certain amount of years to play the game and give it your best shot and then nothing lasts forever that's it you've got to accept that it's over and you're not that player there's a new superstar now there's a new person there and it is it is hard for a while but I think you've got to move on to something as opposed to retire if you retire you're always going to look back in the past if you're saying I'm doing this then I think you're three quarters of the way to moving on to the next chapter in your life because you know what I mean even the most uh, hardcore professionals well bar stringer and dunners it's, it's, it's 10 to 15 years is an incredible innings but um, I think people have to accept reality and say this is it I, I'm this doesn't last forever but some people struggle with that so when you're, you're, you said you didn't know for sure it was going to be your last game, but something felt right at the time that it would be. You you were already planning that you said, I am going to be a coach after this. I was planning for two or three years before that game, to be honest. That's why you kind of, the Irish setup was so interesting for me in terms of, you know, being, being number one for a very long, long time and then losing my place, regathering my place, getting back in for the World Cup. And then obviously people outside of the squad were kind of well why would he want to be uh, you know what I mean a sub I loved being a sub in the Irish team it was fantastic because my I suppose insane mentality told me that I can have as much impact in 10 or 15 minutes than a guy can for 65 minutes so that's what drove me and I was always looking at squad players I can remember I didn't really uh, have too many well Jimmy and Monster I did with Mike in Ireland connected a small but but I really I found it really interesting the kind of squad players the guys that weren't like I can remember you know I mean Sean Cronin had, had retired five times after the after the internationals in in, uh, in the Aviva when he didn't get on I'm packing this in I'm jacking this in I can't play this game my head is wrecked you know and then you just said Shawnee hold on a second now just think about where you are and give it a little bit of thought maybe we'll have a coffee tomorrow morning and I, I love that role of trying to um get the best out of the guys that were numbers 23 to 30 because essentially they decide how the team is going to go on the Saturday if 23 to 30 are interested you have a great chance of your of your first team winning at the weekend if numbers 23 to 30 in the Irish squad are going through the motions and are happy to be a bib the game is up for, for, for even the first team you just get a cosy atmosphere which is no good to a competitive environment well, Mr. McCarthy, we've talked about a, someone who has the who had the, the definite mindset. I am going to do this in retirement. I'm already planning. This is what I want to be. It's March this year. You're looking to add to two years in Narbonne, south of France. French lessons are beginning. Come May, elbow says no. Yeah, yeah. How, um, how did that feel? Well, first of all, I think the, the biggest part of retiring is the, the worst part so far for me has been getting kicked out of the squad WhatsApp group. So that's been pretty <laughs> bad. Um, but I've done a little list here of things I, I do miss and things I don't miss. So I've put don't miss uh, Dexter, body fat, uh, monitored, uh, soreness post game, reviews, uh, the pressure, zebra away. Things I miss, uh, dev, banter with lads in the changing room, uh, competing, big games, free food, um, stash, free stash, doing what you love and uh, that schedule and routine. So that's, yeah. that's I suppose, what I am missing. But uh, that's, yeah, a, no, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, I put a bit of thought into it. So, um, <laughs> Dev's but, down there twice, actually, I see. Yeah, oh, yeah, Dev, yeah, yeah. Dev's a big, big. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, yeah, no, I had, um, yeah, I injured my elbow in training and uh, it was worse than first thought and... Uh, obviously signed to go to Narbonne for two years in the south of France and I was hugely excited about it and uh, had handed my lease in, I'd sorted the removals out, I had uh, Jamie Hagen was playing at Bezier and he, he'd he gone round to look at a house for me and you know video it and send it to me on WhatsApp and everything so uh, um, although I was uh, I was an old fella at 35 and um, I was still hoping to get to you know, like Rossi there, 37. Although he's come out of retirement, hasn't yeah, he? And yeah, played Malahide. for Malahide. New front row weapon. And exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, although I was getting old, it was uh, it was still a little, little bit of a shock because I hadn't really, you know, the next two years I planned to be be playing. Yeah, but it was, it's for the family as well. You were taking the whole, you were taking everyone across. And how, like, how, how did that, at home, you're getting home and said, sorry, it's done. We have to change the plans now. 
I mean, that's um, it's a bit of a hit. Oh, it was a bit of a shock, yeah. For, but uh, for a few weeks, I mean, we'd started our French lessons as well. We yeah. we, uh, we we had a tutor coming around and stuff. So uh, uh, I just have to get on with it. And you know, yeah. like uh, it's kind of sad to think that my last game was Scarlets at home without you know, with, and I didn't even realise. Um, but as as Rod says, you know, like I had a few dark days to start with where, you know, I thought, oh, really, you know, I'm going to really miss it, and what am I going to do next? And uh, has that changed? Uh, it has as time's gone on. It has, yeah. It's, I've started to realise, you know, oh, you know, you know, like talking to Luke Fitzgerald last night. He he retired at what 28, 29, and you know he he obviously had a lot more to achieve in the game. Um, so at least I was an old, uh, I was an old bugger. So uh, it's it's not the end of the world. And uh, look back with very fond mem- fond memories. And uh, you know, I've got James Downey here to 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 uh, mentor me in retirement. So. <laughs> <laughs> But but also I think like uh, if if we take the three of us here that have kind of played like I've gotten back into rugby you're helping out with books Rogers coaching I think that plays a huge part as well in kind of dealing with things I guess but like you know yeah. keeping that positivity well, well, why is, that, involved, is, yeah. is that a comfort zone or is that an identity thing? Um, a bit of both perhaps you know I do think that it's been such a huge part of personally my career or obviously my my life so far like sport team sports be it rugby be it Gaelic yeah because you're, you're playing all the way through school from age yeah whatever. and then to suddenly kind of go right back like I, I really do take Roger's point in terms of like okay he was happy to kind of you move on but like he's you're still involved in the sport which for me is crucial like you know I was like in my head I was like okay I'm going to finish and I'm going to go and work in an office and be in a bank and cut complete ties and then kind of reality kind of hit in and said actually no I can't because that's such a huge part of my life and I'll miss the band in the dressing room and look some people can do it and cut it and um, but no I, like for me it's I'm, I love being involved and being involved in a team environment and mm. getting back into WhatsApp yeah, yeah. groups Oh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> well, my missus thinks it's great for me to stay involved in some capacity. You know, so if you've done it for the last seventeen years, and then all of a sudden it just completely stops, you know. So at least I'm going, you know, coaching the lads on a Tuesday and a Thursday, and a, off to Gary Owen on on uh, on Saturday. So uh, no, no, I'm I, I'm really enjoying it. So it's been great for me. Yeah, right. You'd wanted to come in there. Um, no, no. The moment has passed. <laughs> it's grand. <laughs> Uh, the uh, but it is, so, James, what is it like moving from? I mean, there seemed to be a plan there when you retired. It was very clear you're moving into the quote, I think, financial services world or so, something like this. You, this is something you thought about. Um, yeah, it was towards the end. So, like, I had you always have a well, I, maybe they don't, but I kind of had a plan, and you have. Look, I was moving back to Ireland. I said, right, if I can do four years at Munster, then. You know, I'll plan and I'll have I'll be back home and everything we can sort it out from then. So then do two years there and then obviously um, release there. So that kind of threw a huge span in the works and actually gave me the kind of kick up the ass to kind of get that impetus to move forward and actually go well. Actually, this can be taken away quite quickly. So in my head, the way I did it was kind of said I wasn't ready to finish in my own head I wasn't ready to start work and I wanted to keep going so I said right I'm going to give myself two years to actually make that transition so in the back of my mind rugby took a bit of a uh, a back step um, and I was trying to use those two years to get as much um, information knowledge as I could and worked on my days off and okay club wise things changed a little bit but it was good I got to work in London and, and actually get into the city and and try things and I think Advice. If I was given advice, to players still there would be like use your days off. That like you know at the end uh, when use you fit, your days off wisely. Exactly, mate, exactly, Paul. <laughs> um, so look, just get on with it. Like and kind of get in and get that work experience done if you can. Like I worked in investment management, so it was a bit boring. But I do investment management, and look, I realised I didn't want to do that. So at least I knew that rather than. So it's what you're going in for a day here, a day there, or yeah, shadowing yeah. someone. Yeah, shadowing exactly, yeah. exactly, and then you kind of realise, well, no, that's not for me, or that is for me, and yeah, and, and it's about narrowing things down because. And, and, was, and was this something that you did off your own bat, or was this something that a, you know the club was helping, or the players' union, or? Um, yeah, a bit of everything to be honest. Um, yeah. There's great support networks there, and players' association RPI now are great, and uh, in England um, they're very, very strong as well. The RPA, yeah. so um, they do help a lot, and and clubs now in England. Uh, I know Worcester and um, 
who else uh, was have player development managers there mm. hired to help you and, and get make that relationship uh, Rog you were talking about the you know planning for the next move and stuff so like after that game you played against Claremont and stuff, when when did you kind of reach out to Rassing or when did Rassing reach out to you um, oh god it was a surreal hour after that game I kind of um, I walked in I obviously was head was if you can imagine semi-final which we, against the run of play we probably could have won could have won yeah. um, you know the ball hopped in front of bloody Casey and he just um, missed it by a fraction and I think uh, if you got that you know what I mean we would have probably won the game that's how close it was uh, so obviously you're dealing with a defeat um, it was hugely disappointing I, I went in and uh, I actually met a buddy from school that, that I hadn't seen in about 20 years so that was a bit strange and then I went in and I met um, a guy from Claremont wondered would I come and play with them as a medical joker next season Jeez. straight off the bat I was kind of going where did this come out of then I met the president of Stade France and he kind of said to me what are your plans for the future he, he was watching the semi-final European Cup I just said to um, Jess who was with me kind of going isn't it weird the way it works it kind of nothing ever um, in two years and then all of a sudden you get two kind of uh, weird um, approaches when you obviously haven't even retired from from, from sports you know uh, so that I think sums up how quickly things can change for players or the options that are out there and and the racing thing kind of came about because um How did it come about in the start? It came about by um, just a phone call, really, kind of going um, from the two coaches in Cast were kind of moving from Cast Lawrence for Baron Lawrence, beat were going to racing, and I think they felt that they needed a, an international element, and that's uh, where I came into. But I was kind of looking at just going straight to work with the academy. Um, so I wasn't too sure whether I'd be interested in that and then I spoke to them and then it's kind of I said we'll see how it goes for the first two months and then within two months sure it was in at the deep end and it's stayed like that so that's how that came about Had Munster said anything to you Raj? Um, no I didn't say anything to Munster no no I knew I I for me I wanted to get out of that environment I just yeah. felt uh, obviously not in a bad way because it is so such a good place but it's the place where I played all my life and I knew that and you know James I think from from the coaching point of it you, I don't think you can be yourself uh, as much as you'd want well so I wasn't prepared to lose lose friendships with the players I played with I have too much time for guys I play with that I kind of if I was going the coaching route I felt that um, especially if you're deciding on a team and you're leaving guys out like players blame the coach and the right to blame the coach we've all done that but I think then when you become the coach you kind of you see it a little bit differently so I think it was better just to park that aspect of my life and get away and see different cultures that was all I wanted to do really was uh, see how other people work Claremont that was, that Claremont if, if there was ever a club to go to in France maybe for, for Raj for a year or so it was a medical joker Claremont would probably be a good spot especially with the rivalry they had with Munster over the years I would have liked to have seen it but I'm, I'm happy where you ended up now Roger I think you're doing well for yourself you're just, you're yeah, just, no, you're just seeing the, the stories the door's always open at Buccaneers as well <laughs> <laughs> Medic, medical joker yeah. <laughs> narrow dog um, like the fa- great thing you know what I mean I suppose the massive frustration for me in France in, in, in my club is we don't have supporters going for a club where you have incredible supporters world renowned supporters in Thomond Park anyone around the world knows what a European Cup night is like there and then you go to um, a racing home game and I think players well we all know the importance of supporters but the the public are not aware of of how crucial a role supporters play like so many times the supporters get the team over the line in close games because it's who's going to break mentally first if you've um, you know what I mean for example a red and blue army from Claremont roaring at your players for 60-70 minutes and you have a little pocket of 
Racing supporters, even the ment- most mentally strong people, will break with that kind of, I suppose, torrent of uh, support against them. So, do, you th- do you think that costs you points? I do. I most definitely do. I do. I just think um, there are games there. Um, I think well, what was the game at Town Park Springs to mind for example was it when Pauly and uh, Cudmore got finned or sent off yeah yeah Cudmore got a red could didn't have been he even down to the punch yeah. down to 13 and Niall Ronan got a try we had absolutely no no right or anything like that to get anything out of that game they were that was a really good team but yes it was the crowd that got us over the line James have you ever played in front of some really really small crowd uh, yeah I think most of the lads have played in Murrayfield for those <laughs> those Edinburgh games uh, <laughs> and, and you can hear every, you can hear the abuse personally personalised abuse and uh, but you can hear every call as well it's like playing in a park yeah and then I've gone to the other spectrum of obviously as Rod said when you're playing in a cauldron and you can't hear things but yeah it's there's nothing worse I think Rod shoot the nail on the head but it's just mentally um, extremely tough to to produce. I don't know, Mike. You've played in those games as well. Yeah, it's like zebra away, or you know, when I first started at Connaught in two thousand and four, it was literally one man and his dog watching the game. So it's amazing to see where they've come to in terms of their crowds. But uh, I, I was reading there about Reese Reese Ruddock talking about creating your own energy because when they played in South Africa against the Kings in that first game, obviously there was no crowd there whatsoever. Massive stadium. And uh, Reese was just saying, you know, it's it's it is it's hard to kind of find that energy, and je- you have to find it from from yourself and generate it yourself. Whereas when you are playing in front of that big crowd, it it it, it automatically does it for you. So even if you're an away player, you yeah. get something off the atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you well, that, well, that's some of the, even the goal kickers would say, wouldn't it? They find it actually stranger to go and play in Tolman where everybody just stays quiet. Like it's actually some of them, some lads prefer getting the cat calls and the booze and stuff because it's kind of what they're used to. But yeah, it is. It is. That's a great point. It's actually brilliant sometimes when you know you're going to a place and there's going to be no one for you, and you know what I mean. Forty thousand people against you. That was like that. Um, my last game in Montpellier. I th- remember it was. There was talk about Paul being suspended because um, he had the accident with Dave Carney about oh, yeah. kicking, and he came out for the warm up, and the absolute the, the crowd erupted, abused him from high heavens, and uh, that set the tone. But it gave us so much energy, and it was just like, oh yes, this is going to be a great day because there's no better feeling, really. Kind of, I think the big players stand up away from home, and that's when you see a real depth of character in your teammates and. Um, that was one of those days where it was just um, we got booed off the pitch but like that that brings its own pleasures too to, to rub these players but yeah that's it like the, the, the that game at the weekend there the Kings against Lance it was bizarre you even just watch the highlights back and you could just hear every shout and every noise and echoes around the place and like I don't know what happens over the next while. Well, I, I hope Kings become a better team, but I hope to God that they find some fans. I, yeah, some you're right. I thought I saw that game live as well, and it just it's it left such a bad taste in the mouth. Mm. And you know, what I mean, I'm not in the Pro 14 cycle, but it just it was meant to be the showpiece, wasn't it? The South African first home game, mm. and as you said, like the, the wide camera angle scanning the stadium, it was like, oh God, this is. This is sad. Yeah, that was one to push all the fans into one block of seats somewhere facing a camera. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, re- they reckon the next game against the <laughs> Cheetahs will be a bit better because it's the the, the Curry Cup games first, and then yeah, the double double header. Then Leinster are playing Cheetahs, so it's yeah. a double header, and then obviously Cheetahs have got sort of more Super Rugby players. Out of interest, have you talked to any of the lads about how the the tour is going down there? Um, I haven't actually. What I've been doing though is watching the, watching on Instagram lad stories, and it's uh, getting sick of looking at them. Of uh, lads having coffees, swimming in the sea, playing yeah. golf, table table mountain. I think they've been at the last few days. So, yeah. um, yeah, James, do you reckon that is, is is that a worry that we've started off with such a such a sparse crowd for that? I mean, Kings against Leinster should be, even though we're a little bit biased, a big fixture. Should be, yeah, but um, I do think it's going to take an awful lot to 
to still produce the crowds down there and they still take a, l- a lot more convincing um, as Ma- as Macca said there you know they've hopefully cheetahs will pick up and hopefully it'll, uh, it'll it'll start to bring the crowds in over the next while once they get a bit of buzz about it um, I'm not sure how it's been uh, been marketed down there um, I'd be interested to see that but um, how, how is it working in terms of if it, when the lads are saying the Cheetahs are playing the Curry Cup before what Leinster played the Cheetahs so what there's two teams from the Cheetahs yeah they, they've, they've a split the squad on, yeah exactly they've a split squad while the Curry Cup is going on so it's a, it's a bit of a complication that the Cheetahs have that and who gets preference that's up to the Cheetahs like it who, seems. who puts out the better team that's the big question. Is it for the well, Curry I Cup? Think, or I, think for the, the I think the Cheetahs, because the, che- the, the Cheetahs is more their super rugby team, and the mm. Curry Cup's kind of. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm right here, but I think the Curry Cup is kind of like, um, you know, below super rugby. Mm. So that's that's my thinking of where it would be at. Depends which end of the yeah, season you're at as well. ATM right? Cup or something over New Zealand, that kind yeah. of standard. But you see that game in the Premiership as well. Falcons in uh, played Saracens in the USA, and you know that was I think that was a pretty exactly. disappointing crowd. Six six thousand, I think. So yeah, uh, I mean it's slightly better, but in it's, a massive stadium as well. Yeah, exactly. no, it looked completely. It just, you know, what I mean, it just didn't give the right. No, um, it, it, you want you want to see message. Like if you're if you're watching this on TV, you'd prefer to see a packed ten thousand. Stadium yeah. versus an empty fifty thousand one. It just feels better. It looks better, and there's better energy coming through the, the speakers, you know. Um, but I will say, right down to a more positive note, uh, anyone go out there look at the highlights of the Cheetah Zebra game, but make sure you get it with the South African commentator because <laughs> it's brilliant. Fifty nine, thirty seven, whatever it was, and it's just <laughs> it's energy. It's good. Um, okay, the boys will be back later answering your Twitter questions. But up next, we hear from young Ulster winger Jacob Stockdale. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. Welcome back to The Hard Yards. Pat, you've been on the road this week. Yeah, yeah, got um, got out got out in the car and got on the, the Leinster team bus for a trip down to uh, Tullow Rugby Club. That was for Leinster have announced a new five-year sponsorship deal with... Um, that was an extension of the deal with Bank of Ireland so that's going to take him all the way up to 2023 the year we host the Rugby World Cup so um, that he was good he says confident <laughs> yeah that was a good buzz what was it um, it, was good, it was good down there because we were chatting to Sean O'Brien and Rob Kearney and Robbie Henshaw and then Sophie Spence was there as well so um, that was a good day yesterday and the day before I went up to um, Kingspan Stadium and I was talking to um, Les Kiss and Jacob Stockdale and had a good chat with Johnny Davis as well their, their S&C coach so oh, it, was, it was good to get on the road and take the hard yards out across the country have to just get myself a hard yards sponsored Jeep now next that's the next big move yeah Joe shaking his head you're not no, getting a Jeep it's not going to happen yet no, no. no. But, um, so you're talking to Jacob Stockdale we've got the inter- interview coming up yeah yeah um, what were you talking to him about um, just, just spoke to him a little bit about his time um, just we made his Ireland debut during the summer like he's this guy has come out of nowhere pretty quick and um, just made his debut last season and um, but he's already played 26 times for Ulster like, so they, they think a lot of the lad and he can cover every position across the back line um, so he's really good wants to kind of be a centre but they're trying him out in the back three this season and uh, yeah, we spoke to um, spoke to him about Ireland. He actually spoke really well about uh, Rog. He has a good little bit in this interview about Rog had a word with him before his debut against the USA. So, uh, but I kicked off by talking to him about uh, they've just come off a win against Scarlets, and maybe the boys thought they were going to go easy on them. But uh, Les and John O'Gibbs have just ran the ass off them this week in training. Me and Tommy were kind of joking there after training. Like I think we need to go remind John and Kessie that we actually won. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's been uh, it's been a really good week and. It's it's been tough, but it's you know uh, we've we've trained hard and we feel like we're in you know a good place uh, coming into coming into the game of the weekend. Um, I think there's maybe sometimes a little bit of a you know a worry that you might get complacent. Mm. Um, you know after beating the champions and then going into you know a game where you know we're more expected to win than last week. So I think they were kind of making sure that that didn't happen. <laughs> Les was saying as well that you, like one of the good things for you coming back into the season and after making your Ireland debut was that you came back in in good shape. Like you know you didn't you know those few weeks off you didn't let yourself go or anything. You thought that was a good sign. Is is it a tough thing to do? Like surely you want to go celebrate after you've made your Ireland cap and you know go celebrate with your mates and you can finally let your hair down. Like was there temptations to do that at all? Yeah, um, I probably did to a certain extent. <laughs> uh, you know you can kind of take maybe a week or two off and then. So we get four weeks off after tour, and then you know the second, the second, you know, kind of two weeks, you kind of have to get back into a bit of training. Um, 
I learned my lessons, so I did. Uh, two two pre seasons ago, I I didn't really do much training, and it really wasn't <laughs> wasn't wasn't worth the <laughs> worth the fun. So uh, yeah, I think you know, for me, I find that you know coming in with a bit of fitness and a bit of training done, uh, it makes pre season and start pre season a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. The um, I remember there was an interview with Gary Ringrose last year, and he was saying. One of the toughest things to do is be in those WhatsApp groups or Snapchat groups with your mate because you're, you're getting stuff on nights out when they're on, on nights out as well. Would you be in those kind of groups? Is, it, is there a tinge of jealousy when you're getting those type of messages? Yeah, uh, especially when you know all your mates are still students and just going out and uh, you know are having fun and living the life of it, and you're sitting there having to get the bed about half ten because you're in training tomorrow, um, and you know you kind of say like you, you joke and say like oh I'm jealous of you boys like but you know. It's hard. It's hard to be jealous when you're doing, you know, the thing that you love every week. And uh, you know, I, I I know that a lot of my mates, you know, would would, be, would pay to be in the position I am. So you kind of can't take it for granted too mm. much. You know, I was talking to um to, to Jonathan in there, and he was mentioning that uh, you're from like a rugby mad family, and um, is it something that's kind of you grew up with? Is it? It's, it's a kind of you know, it's it's something that they're kind of they followed your whole career. There's probably scrapbooks about every every cap and stuff like that. Is there? It's uh. It, it rubbed off in you, I suppose, like this kind of family tradition of yeah, um, a wee bit yeah. Um, so my dad, and my granddad both played, um, and they're rugby crazy. Like um, my mom tells a story. I don't know how true it is, but uh, that my dad was late to my sister's birth because he was down in the waiting room uh, watching the sevens <laughs> tournament that was on. So uh, he's um, you know my dad's always been rugby mad and had me playing uh, you know mini rugby since I was four or five. So it's always been a massive part of our family, and you know I've loved it since I was no age. Yeah. What's the first? Can you remember the first time you appeared in a, a newspaper, or a local kind of cutting, or you know, school school match report? Um, yeah, I think it was after um, it was after the schools cup, and I think we beat we beat Balamina, and uh, I scored two tries, and they had some sort of play on words with Stockdale. I can't remember, I can't remember quite what it was, but it was a. It's a pretty weird experience, like you know, seeing your name in the newspaper. But yeah, it's good. And how did it feel then to be not only to be called up with all the kind of new faces and stuff during the summer, but to to all of a sudden be on tour with the likes of Simon Zebo and, and Keith Earls? A strange experience. How was that kind of first couple of training sessions with the lads? And did anybody help you kind of get into the whole first few training sessions? Yeah, uh, it was kind of it was you know it was strange like kind of it's different. Uh, you know, when when you come out to Ulster and you know you kind of work your way slowly up through the ranks and you kind of see more of certain players, you know that you've grown up watching. But for that, it was very much you know I'd never talked to these guys before, and then all of a sudden I'm going on tour with them and I've watched them you know uh, play as I was growing up, and um, it was it was really good. It was a brilliant experience, and you know the likes actually of like Keith Earls and uh, you know Simon Zebo because they were you know in the same position as me were like really brilliant and just making sure that. I had, you know, I knew everything I needed to know, and if I had any questions, they were they were more than helpful whenever I came to them. And you were you mentioned that Felix and, and Roger, it was good working with them as well. Do you remember any kind of specific chats you had with them when you were over away during the during the summer over in Japan and America? Um, yeah, I think well, like Felix uh, was really helpful in terms of kind of like uh, you know high balls and you know um, you know getting into the air as a back three because obviously you know he was you know brilliant at that during his mm-hmm. career and it was you know kind of really great to kind of pick his mind and you know uh you know like understand you know what it is i need to be looking for when the ball's in the air um roger's kind of um probably a, com- a completely different uh completely different you know um style and uh he kind of the big the big part he, he helped me with was uh when i was first you know told i was going to be starting against usa i was kind of sitting up the side of the pitch pretending to stretch and just everything was going through my head and what if I do this, what if I do that, what if I do this here and uh, Rog kind of just came over and was like Jacob you look like you're crapping yourself a bit and I was like you know what I am and he was like, like listen don't worry just you know you know the stuff and um, you don't realise you know it but you do and uh, he was right you know once I got into the training session it was grand and you know everyone went, everyone went swimmingly so yeah and you, you were mentioning that there was a the phone call back home and uh yeah, just kind of letting the family know that you were you were there, but you you didn't exactly go about it the the, the simple A to B way, did you? Yeah, because um, you know I kind of knew whenever this you know what day and time the squad was was going to be announced, and uh, 
my my mum had been texting me, you know, for about the last couple of days, being like, "Oh, have you heard? Have you heard?" And I was like, "Right, well, I need to play with her a wee bit." So, text. So, sent it as a family WhatsApp group. And just sent in, uh, sent in bad news, guys. Didn't say anything else. And my mum replied in this big essay about how you know, I, you know, it didn't matter. You know, I didn't need to be playing for Ireland yet. You know, maybe it was a wee bit too soon, and all this here. And then kind of replied and said, "That's all well and great, Mum, but I actually got picked." <laughs> she she wasn't too happy for a while, but yeah, it was good. And what happened to you, uh, the the destiny of that? Because I know you get like a jersey for playing in an extra jersey as well when you play. Have you got both of them? Did you keep one of them or anything? Um, yeah, again, like uh, you know, Keith Earls was pretty brilliant in that aspect, like because uh, I was going to go and swap my extra jersey um, with one of the USA players, and as I was walking out the change rooms. Or as he just said, here Jacob, don't be swapping your first. And so he gave me his other one, um, and you know let me swap that as well. So I was able to hold on to my two first cap jerseys, which was, was you know really really dead on of him, and uh, you know I really really appreciated it. Yeah. And is there a temptation when you get back then hanging out with your mates to show up in all the Ireland gear, put <laughs> a jersey down at the gym or something? I don't think uh, I don't think the slagging that I'd get after that would be worth it to be honest. Uh, uh, a little bit, yeah, just to kind of rub it in their faces, but <laughs> no, I think I'll, I think I'll just stick normal clothes for now. The um, looking back, I was even looking at a picture from a schools game. I think it was maybe three years back against Methodist College. You were playing for Wallace High School, and um, still, you still kind of had the big, big enough frame. Like you always kind of had the height from maybe a few years back. But what's the kind of biggest challenge you found? Has it been just to kind of put on the muscle mass, and how much have you put, probably put on kilo wise in the last couple of years? Um, I think in terms of kind of putting on weight, I've never really struggled with that. Um, my first kind of year I school, I actually put on, I think it was like 14 or 15 kilos. So I went from about 93 to 107, and I was far too heavy at that <laughs> point, so I had to strip back a wee bit. Um, I think probably the biggest challenge I've found is probably not physically, it's like kind of mentally and like understanding the game better mm. and knowing where to be at the right time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And the... Um I suppose the other one then is uh, you got back there was the big kind of camp in Carton House then in August were you down for that as well and yeah, yeah. did it feel all of a sudden because you would have had a few maybe Lions back in the picture they might not have been taking too much in part in the training but all of a sudden you're next to some of the lads who are on the Lions tour that you probably would have been following during the summer as well yeah I kind of you know the tour um, was awesome and uh, you know I really really enjoyed it and it was a privilege to be a part of but at the same time, you're kind of saying, okay, well, there's this guy's not here, he's not here, he's not here. Uh, so going down to that camp, it kind of felt like, right, this is where it gets serious. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, uh, you know, this, this is the proper Ireland team. Everybody's here, and uh, yeah, it was great to be a part of it. Yeah. And they, uh, I saw as well. There was, um, th- th- I think there was one of the big, the big things for the 2023. Um, you were down at the Aviva Stadium, and Brian O'Driscoll was there, and maybe one of the other uh, younger Irish lads was there as well. Yeah. But um, did you get a chance to have a chat with Brian at all, or? Um, yeah, me and it was me and Bill Johnson, uh, the monster. Yeah, the monster. Yeah. half. Yeah, he. Uh, we went down down there, and uh, I. I think I showed up a wee bit late, and uh, Bill and Brian were kind of already talking, and I just saw Bill because I was like, right, there's nobody here I know. I just saw Bill and wandered over, and then I kind of looked, and I was like, oh, that's. It's Brian Driscoll, so yeah. it is, and then uh, you know he was like, oh, hi Jacob, and I was like, um, you know, hi, I'm Jacob and Brian, and. Uh, had a wee bit of a chat with him, so yeah, it was kind of weird mingling with the, uh, you know, the the legends of our show, yeah, yeah. well, you could say, yeah. And the, uh, I suppose another thing is, that, let's say, things, because, let's say, I think you're 26 games in now, you're scoring tries, doing well, holding your own, so is there another thing that the lads give you advice on, like, you know, if you need an agent to go here, the, lad, the kind of the older lads good for that type of stuff? Yeah, definitely, um, you know, the, the kind of, the guys have been around, you know, for a lot of guys have been around for a long time and they kind of know what works and what doesn't work. So, um, yeah, in terms of, you know, getting advice, they're they're brilliant in that respect. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they never, there's never, you know, something that you, you can't ask them or they won't, you know, help you out with. And um, this is this is one that um, I suppose a lot of people ask and it often kind of makes people jealous when they're reading it as well. The first maybe first Ireland game you remember watching or first memory of an Ireland game that stands out for you? Um, <clears throat> I think the first Ireland game I really remember well was uh, Ireland against England in the Aviva mm-hmm. uh, in I think it was 2011 2010, 2011 and uh, yeah I think Ireland lost that day because Manu, Manu Tulangi uh, scored a try so he did to win it and uh, 
Yeah, I left a wee bit of a sour taste in my mouth. <laughs> I thought I was maybe the the bad, you know, bad luck. Bad luck, yeah. But I'd say that was my first first reverent memory of a game. And would you often go with friends, or would it be family that you'd go along to games with? Was it still something that kind of be a nice memory when you were growing up? Uh, yeah, I think it would, it would have mainly been my dad. Um, you know, because he's such you know a bit of a rugby nut, and uh, you know always would have like we always would have come here, and you know we had a season ticket for a year or two, and. Uh, yeah, so it always would have been you know my dad that I would have gone with, and then you know maybe once I kind of got a bit older and you know was at like a, at school with the you know with the kind of guys that would have played rugby, I would have gone with them. But yeah, it would have mainly been my dad. And the um, I, I was even looking back at your your own Twitter account and from when you were over in uh, Japan there during the the summer, just the chaos of the you know the five and six way crossways yeah. and crossing street. But did being over there give you a bit of a taste that like? I'd love to get back here. Like you know, it's it's only two years away. Yeah, it's a really it's a very very different place to Belfast. So it is, and uh, I I like, I love being over there. It's you know really good to kind of experience it, you know, something different than you know like a really vast contrast to our culture. Uh, and yeah, no, I'd like I'd love to be back. I'd love to go back and you know have the opportunity to play in the World Cup because I mean you know playing in the World Cup that's you know, you know the pinnacle of you know mm. of. Uh, international rugby so yeah and I'm very keen to hopefully get over there in 2019 the um, the last thing I was going to ask you about was uh, Tommy was talking to us there last week and he was saying that he hit his personal best metres per second I think it was 9.7 yeah. um, anywhere is are you anywhere near near as good as that or is, uh, is he the fastest man in, in Ulster I think those numbers might be fabricated from Tommy there <laughs> like uh, no um, yeah I, I hit um, a nine, 9.96 um, during the the uh, the preseason, which I'm counting as a ten, but um, a lot of boys are disputing that and saying that's only a nine nine. But yeah, so we'll round it up at nine point nine six. Yeah, it sounds yeah, like it's close. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. You, you, you round up, but uh, yeah, boys are disputing it. <laughs> Perfect. Listen, all the best for the season ahead. Cheers, Pat. Thanks. Okay, so that was Jacob Stockdale. Pat, your impressions of him? Yeah, really confident young lad. Like um, sure of himself. Like and and just already you, you kind of have. A trepidation maybe when you're going to talk to somebody who's 21, 22 uh, you might get yes or no answers they might not be fully media trained or anything but the way Stockdale carries himself he's just just confident like not in an arrogant way just very sure of himself and uh, came, comes from a big rugby family his dad and granddad both played as well as, as he was mentioning there so um, yeah he's definitely a guy that I, I can see featuring in the November series and uh, you know you know, maybe not against South Africa, but you can see him playing against Fiji and kind of pressing for a Six Nations spot next season. Mm. And remember, for fantasy rugby fans, he's down there as a centre. Yeah, yeah, and a centre, but picking up a try every second game. Unknowing, exactly. Uh, right, we'll have your Twitter questions and tips for this weekend's rugby on the way. The hard yards. Now, when the cups are decided, you're fine weather, but that's probably a two-month period. You have to do the hard yards. Hey, that's the name of the show. Excuse the pun. No, that's perfect. We're going to use that now. <laughs> I'm on a bonus for that, definitely. Yeah. Get Jordan, that in. The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards. On Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening today. We have Philip Condell from Ladbrokes on the phone and our producer Joe Harrington is also here. Hey, gents. How are you? Very well. Good. How are you doing, guys? Hey, Philip. Yeah, so it's. Um, I was actually off last week, and before I left, it looked like Andy was going to run away with it. But um, after the last two weeks, it's pretty close. So last week, Andy got five picks out of seven right, and Pat got four. Uh, so that leaves it seventeen fourteen ahead heading into this weekend. So um, Pat, yeah, you you must be happy with that, eh? <laughs> I'm starting to take it very seriously now. Uh, um, I thought I could just breeze through it at the start, and now I'm actually doing. Uh, Thanks. Know. So I got into the lead because you weren't taking it seriously. Exactly. Thanks very much. Well, yeah, it's one of those kind of backhanded compliments. <laughs> it is, it? yeah. And and you did want to mention Treviso. <gasps> yes. Oh, my my big call from last week that went pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Your banker as well. Banker, and I'd say after being fourteen nil up, um, Mr. Uh, Cockrell took that very well. The smug look on Andy's face right now. Um, if only you could see it. Um, Philip, uh, let's get stuck into it. So what do Ladbrokes have um, for Leinster, Cheetahs in South Africa this weekend? 
Okay, so Leinster are favourites here. Um, we've got Leinster seven to one on, and the cheese is nine to two. Mm. The handicap is fourteen. Leinster minus fourteen, and we feel this handicap is definitely going to change. Um, the cheetahs have two games on Friday night. They have one in the Curry Cup against the Pumas, and obviously then they've got Leinster in the Pro Fourteen. And we have a feeling that the cheetahs may prioritise the Pumas game this week, and if that happens obviously team news is going to be crucial here and if it does come to fruition that they prioritise this Pumas game then uh, this this Leinster team should really have enough to walls past the reserve cheetah side and, and it, every chance that this goes off much shorter than minus 14 Yeah like guys um, you spoke about it with the lads as well about this uh, like two games in one night for the cheetahs um, what about Leinster minus 14 though Pat we'll go to you first Ah damn I was hoping you'd go first Andy um yeah, it's. I suppose the the fact that you're talking about it so confidently that that the price and those kind of the odds will probably come down a little bit, Philip. But um, I just kind of think a six day turnaround for Leinster, same set of squad, same set of players. There might be a few changes. Um, should be a bit more of an atmosphere about it tonight um, as well. So I'm kind of reluctant, but I'm going to go uh, like Leinster. I think I'm going to win, but I'll, I'll go with the Cheetahs for the spread on that one. Andy, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. take the Leinster side of that one. Damn it. Um, great stuff moving on to Monsters game this weekend they're away to Glasgow um, what's it looking like Philip? Uh, well I think it looks like game of the round to be honest with you guys um, we're just talking about the Cheetahs and the South African teams have definitely added a bit of flavour to the competition but in, in, in terms of quality sometimes it maybe devalued the quality and we're getting a lot more double figure handicaps every week but mm-hmm. it, uh, luckily it's not the case in this one it's a three point handicap uh, we've got Glasgow the three point favourites because they've got the home advantage uh, match betting they're 6-4 to four on Munster 11-8 to eight. OK Andy we'll go to you first here artificial pitch and all that kind of stuff might come into play but yeah and the Conor Murray game from last season remember yeah oh Oh, yeah yeah. attacking him when he was the standing leg no but also remember the um, the uh, the the HIA cushion thing yeah yeah Yeah. they had their little sort of investigation afterwards or whatever the appropriately lawyerly word is (laughs) Um, but yeah there was nothing wrong Um, I'm going to take the I'm going to take the Glasgow side of this yeah, I was thinking I'm going to do the same as well. I'm going yeah. to go Glasgow in this, uh, and then just just I am looking forward to that game. This is just to get a like little shout out now because we might not mention him elsewhere. But Jean Klein um, has been brilliant at the start of the season. So uh, having my fantasy rugby team as well. So um, he's got I think four tries in three games and an, a, an assist already. So I'm expecting him just to batter some people at the weekend. But I still think I'm going to go with Glasgow. Yeah, even the monster monster started well. Oh yeah, they yeah, look good. Yeah, you still think Glasgow. Uh, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's like it's. I don't. I think it'll be a tight game, but uh, yeah, I, I, to go away and win two away games in a row, like you wouldn't put it past them. But I'll go. I'll go play it safe and go Glasgow. Connacht and Cardiff in the sports ground. Philip, uh, what, what sort of spread do you have in this? Uh, Connacht five point favourites with a home advantage here. Um, the the Dragons beat a Connacht side last week and they were missing a few um, but really the Welsh sides have started pretty badly this season and other than the Scarlets who've been okay uh, but again Scarlets haven't beaten much Connacht we expect will win this match betting 2-1 to one on Connacht Cardiff 13-8 to eight. and like I said 5 point handicap Connacht minus 5 Cardiff plus 5 Andy yeah Connacht are winning this game but that 5 point spread is very very annoyingly on the mark um, I, I'm going Cardiff on this. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I was going to go Connacht anyway, but this just makes it all the more interesting now. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I can see them. I can see them winning it. But yeah, it's going to be tight. Yeah, it's going to be tight. Yeah. So you think minus size too much? No, I'll go Connacht. I'll back Connacht for that. Good stuff. Um, and the other Irish province also. Who gets who gets the points if it's a five point win for Connacht, guys? Type. See, this is where we need to think about this. We we can move on to using uh, the no-draw handicap if we want to. Okay. Right. But we're not doing that today. Yeah, I think it's complicated (laughs) enough as it is, to be honest. Um, Okay. um, uh, Ulster v Dragons then. Um, Philip, what do you have on this? Okay, this is already only moving one way. Um, Markets opened uh, at minus 17. It's now out to minus 18. Ulster favourites, 20 to 1 on. Dragons eight to one, and they've been out now to seventeen to two. Uh, they really should have too much for the Dragons. Um, 
uh, you know, is a tough place to go and, and Ulster should have part much quality here. Ulster minus 18? 18 points are still a lot of points. Um, but yeah, Ulster at home, I'm I'm going with that. Pat? Uh, I'm going to oh Yeah, I'm, Ulster are going to win that one. Um, and it, there's talk of Dragons going, like resting a few guys as well, but... Um, I don't know Ulster they, they win but they never do things too easily at home so I'm going to go with Dragons on that one Very good um, very quickly let's get through the other games Treviso Ospreys Treviso Ospreys Treviso coming off a good win last week against Edinburgh and they've covered the handicap uh, the week before as well they're outsiders here they're 3-1 and uh, 18 or sorry not 18 it's 11 point handicap here uh, Ospreys minus uh, 11 and they are 4-1 to one on in this game uh, team news will be key but will probably likely try and take on the Os- Ospreys here Treviso probably one of the better Italian sides re- uh, of recent years mm. guys what do you think I'm going to go Treviso on that one but like again I think Os- Ospreys are might my, my edge it because of the soccer Reese Webb and Alan Jones coming back but um, yeah it's like 11 points so I'm going to go with Treviso yeah I'll I, they don't sound confident at all but really, I'm going to go with Treviso yeah. Yeah, really nailing his um, yeah I'm going with Treviso again two Trevisos okay yep. um, the other games are Kings and Zebra the big one that's the big game that's the big one yeah the blockbuster the blockbuster, <laughs> blockbuster of the round really isn't it um, uh, I think we'll be with Zebra all the way here Kings are favourites and, and it, it's quite, it seems to be a big spread for this game they're 9 point favourites uh, match betting they are 7-2 on with Zebra 11-4 um, it's hard to you know, big up Zebra too much, given the, the, how they've gone throughout their history. Um, but the Kings have been pretty poor as well, and it wasn't a strong Leinster side last week. We won quite quite easily. Mm. Um, we'll be trying to take on the Kings here, and we'll probably be top price Kings all weekend here. Yeah, I've I've I really gambled going with the Italian sides last week, and I'm doing it again. I don't see that. I don't like that nine points for the Kings and I'm going on the Zebra side of that Pat? yeah I'll go with Kings um, and it'll be interesting to see how many fans show up to this game now the weekend and the oh, final yeah, game 3,000 last week wasn't it so allegedly <laughs> allegedly <laughs> it didn't even look like 3,000 allegedly it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was uh, yeah. pretty sparse alright uh, final game the weekend Scarlet's Edinburgh uh Edinburgh six one. It's a big price for Edinburgh, but uh, two main reasons for that, and that's one coming off their loss to Treviso last week, and also the Scarlets did look good against Ulster, and, and they might have just nicked the win. It, it was quite close in that game right up until the end. Um, it's pretty early in the season, and this game should show a bit of where both teams are. Uh, the spreads of the game is Scarlets are minus fifteen, Edinburgh plus fifteen. Match betting, uh, as I said, Edinburgh six to one, Scarlets twelve to one on. Minus fifteen, Pat. Yeah, Scarlet. I'll go with Scarlets for that one. Um, again, yeah, it's a big, it's a big. That's what we're kind of seeing, aren't we? A bit this season, big point spreads. But mm. uh, I'll go with Scarlets and yeah. my boy Johnny McNichol to get the job done as well. Yeah, and I, and I get that. And but if you've been beaten at home by Treviso, having been out, yeah, mm. I I with Cockrell there being Cockrell. I'm I'm going on the Edinburgh side, but I, that could easily be a 31 win for Scarlets. But I'm going the Edinburgh side. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, Philip, thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Philip. No problem, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Great stuff. Uh, up next, we have Twitter questions for Mike, Raj, and James. The Hard Yards brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. Okay, it's time for your Twitter questions now. People have been using the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter this week, and here are the best ones. First one, this is one we held over, actually, from Shane English. Uh, Saw a spiral kick for the first time in a long while in the New Zealand-Argentina game. Very effective and massive territory game. Is this skill a last start? Raj? Yeah, it's definitely been used less and less frequently. Um, Which is um, incredibly sad for for me I think for fans of rugby it's the, it's for me what, Why is it being used less Rog? Is it a safety first thing or what? Um, well I don't know where it's been taught what countries around the world it's been coached um, I think um, it is a difficult skill but if you get it it's actually very easy but the, 
problem is that people revert to the end over end when the pressure comes on um, because there's way more margin for error but um, the accuracy with a drill spiral it just uh, and flight time is far quicker far accurate and um, it most definitely is um, a, a dying art unfortunately yeah, I remember talking to Dave Allred about that a few years back for a piece and he was happy to talk for a good solid <laughs> half an hour just about getting players to do to learn and to have confidence and to do a spiral right down into the corner um, and he also reckoned that it was much harder to catch Raj like when you stick a high spiral in the air it can be a horrible one for yeah, the player yeah. underneath <laughs> Mike's nodding um, right oh yeah but that's that, that, like, that is the hardest kick that like that's uh, you know what I mean a spiral Gary on is a different kick altogether I'm only talking about the basic spiral kick which um, really isn't difficult to perform but um I, unfortunately, I think all the young players nowadays are being told to kick the ball end over end, and um, I just ask why. Why I just think. Uh, do you do you teach lads? For example, that? in the country like Ireland, where the grass is wet eight months of the year, if you can get a good spiral, what happens when the ball when the ball hits the ground on an end over end? When the ball accelerates or hits the ground on a drill spiral the ball accelerates it's impossible to defend irrespective of how good your 15 is so if you can I mean drill a spiral 40, 50 yards 30 yards from left to right right to left uh, and it hits and you find grass it's it's just heaven for the forwards you know Mike how did that um, that one kick you had in your Connacht career go for you? Oh yeah you're asking the wrong person about kicking but uh, I mean yeah no I uh I've, yeah, I don't kick full stop, but um, I kicked once in a Connacht game and it was pretty embarrassing. So yeah, that's, that's all I'll say on that. Yeah, never kicked again since. And you remember, was it a spiral or an end over end? Or? <laughs> it was a slice off the boot into the touch. Yeah. The, uh, right, next question um, from Colm O'Donoghue. In light of a certain Tullaman's comment recently, what's the biggest disagreement or falling out you've had with a coach? So the context is. Sean O'Brien has uh, come out fairly strongly about his feelings about some of the coaching and the structure uh, of the Lions tour, particularly around week one and week three, and around Rob, Harley, Rob Howley's influence as backs coach with perhaps Sean O'Brien feeling that Owen Farrell and Jonathan Sexton had to take over that some of that. Um, James, any view on this? I've had a fair few disagreements with people. Um, I've, I guess I've tried to keep them as in-house as, as I could, but uh, ultimately when you have to react to something, I guess you have to react to something. And Is there anywhere you completely lost the handle? Um, yeah, there is, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I threw my toys out of the pram a couple of times now. I remember was, uh, with Glasgow, I substituted at half-time, and he, was, um, he said, oh, I missed two tackles or something. I said, well someone else missed three or four like and said right you're done so I stood up and threw my gum shield on the floor and that was it like and yeah wasn't wasn't too happy but that was the beginning of the end let's just say on that one so that was, um, that was you gone that was well yeah but also me myself in my own head I was like right <laughs> time to move not working out <laughs> yeah but yeah. Mike are you surprised that Johnny's um, made comments like that um uh, not not necessarily. He's just speaking speaking what he thinks, and uh, Shawnee is a man who says what he thinks. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't said anything too bad. He just he's kind of said what he thinks they could have done better, yeah. and he's got confidence that that squad could have won the. I think he's saying they could have won the three tests. So, you know, fair play to him. Mean, it's Shawnee sets very high standards, and um, he's a confident guy. So, um, yeah, and in fairness to him, he did he did say, look, it's the he's talking about the structure how they went into the first test and the third test he said he admitted that they were probably lucky to win the second test mm, but yeah. um, Raj is this the sort of thing you'd um, you'd expect Shawnee to be very honest about at this point in his career um, I didn't I didn't um, I only saw um, snippets of it unfortunately you know what I, mean? I think experience has told me to make sure I read this article uh, because it seems really interesting um, but 
of, for people um, that I know and respect, Sean O'Brien blew way up there. I think um, when he says something like this, you have to listen. Um, he doesn't say it for the sake of it. He's saying it as Mike said, to improve. Um, I suppose Northern Hemisphere rugby going forward. That's exactly why he's saying it, I would think. And uh, he's earned the right to talk. He's a great leader. I think he's a great man in the dressing room. And he's someone's opinion I would I would really uh, take heed of. Going into that second test in, in Christchurch or in Wellington, I should say, he had lost seven tests, all seven tests he played against New Zealand. And he'd missed out on the win over in Chicago. So he probably saw the lads that were around him and thought, we can fucking win this thing. Like, And... I think that's probably why there's a bit of frustration there. You can sense it about him as well. He looks back and there's there's a bit of pride there, but he's just thinking, shit, mm. we could have we could have had them there. Yeah, I suppose natural enough when you're when you're looking back. Are you, right? rub, are you just rubbing it in there, Pat? I I played them both another five sides, and I still didn't. Win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it. Before we go, um, the two lads beside me in the studio, you roomed together once, didn't you? Oh yes, we did. <laughs> How did that go? Oh, well, I think that's why maybe I didn't perhaps get any more caps because we play. We toured uh, USA and Canada the, the first week. It was just as Joe had come in the first week. Uh, Les Kiss was running the show for the first week, and then Joe came for the second week. And I was rooming with Jimmy, um, and I got out of the shower and just had my towel around me. Went to went went to go out the door into the corridor to put my bag of washing. You know, my dirty kit. There's like a big bucket at the end of the corridor. You put your washing in. So I went, I just, I said, oh, Jimmy, being a good roommate, you got any kit you want me to put in the wash? So I took his kit bag, took my kit bag, had my towel around me, just nipped nip down the corridor, chucking into the washing basket. Uh, what does Jimmy do? He pulls my towel off me as I go out the door, slams the door behind me, and of course, who who comes down the <laughs> corridor? Uh, who, who's the least person you'd want to come down the corridor at that point is uh, Joe, Joe Schmidt. Um, most pretty awkward, pretty awkward scenario, standing out there with two kit bags, no towel. Um, and seeing Joe getting closer and closer and uh, yeah that was a very awkward moment for me um, Mr Downey you have a right of reply yeah I apologise Mike I've actually forgot I forgot <laughs> yeah, well, I, didn't want to, I, I didn't want to remind you till now but uh, yeah. yeah cheers right a lovely moment to end on nice mental image thanks Mike yeah. uh Right, use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question next week. Also, there was a competition on Twitter this week for two tickets to Connacht's Guinness Pro 14 game with Cardiff Blues this weekend. The winner is Eamon Murray. Enjoy the game. Boo! Mike says enjoy the game. Uh, thanks to Rog, to James, Mike, to Pat and Philip Kandel, to Joe Harrington for producing and Emma Carroll was on sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.